2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Gather by the Ghostlight, original stories for radio theater. I'm Jonathan Cook, your host, producer, sometimes voice actor on this thing. And here we are, traveling into the future, one second at a time, right on into episode number 26. Today's story comes to you from the mind of Florida based playwright Ken Proust. It's called Science Friction or the Rapid Deconstruction of a Rational Mind. Now, most people out there have been in relationships where they want to get to know their companions a little bit better. And sometimes, this involves getting to know the different movies and books and fandoms that their partners are interested in. Well, in this story, you're going to meet a young woman named Daisy. And she's taken a deep dive into her boyfriend's science fiction collection, and, uh, well, let's just say it sends her over the deep end. Now, gather around the ghost light, sit back and enjoy. This is Science Friction, or the Rapid Deconstruction of a Rational Mind, written by Ken Pruce. And be sure to stick around after the story to hear an interview with the
1: writer. Daisy? Hello? Are you there? Okay, I'm opening the door.
0: How'd you get in here?
1: You're hidden key. He got locked out on her second date.
0: How long ago was that? What day is it?
1: Saturday. I went at the airport, oh, no, but... No no, 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 Daisy? Are you okay?
0: There is no safety this side of the grave.
1: Wait, was that from... Uh... Oh. Are you mad about my trip? We talked about you it. You know I... what
0: we didn't talk about, Raymond? This.
1: What's in the box? Oh, <laughs> brave new world. That's one of my top five favorite books. Let's see. Ooh, Alien, awesome movie. Martian Chronicles, Dune, Star Trek, these are all my favorites. What's going on?
0: I wanted to get to know you a little more while you were away, so I read and watched all the sci-fi stuff you said you loved.
1: Oh, that's really sweet.
0: I thought so too, till I got depressed.
1: You're depressed?
0: Not anymore, I moved from depressed to nervous. Now I'm just paranoid.
1: Oh, is that why you stopped responding to my texts and calls?
0: Sort of. I refuse to own any device that can become sentient.
1: So, you got rid of your phone?
0: I got rid of everything. Alexa, my Roomba. I even disabled the self-cleaning oven. You know how it works. In the beginning, Siri is a smart little helpful friend, and then one day you're like, look up the pod bay doors, pal, and she's, I'm sorry, Daisy. I'm afraid I can't do that.
1: You're not serious, right? Oh, you're you're just having a little fun at- I
0: haven't had fun in weeks. I may never have fun again.
1: Oh, of course you will. Hey, you know, why don't we go to our special place for your favorite treat?
0: And support a corrupt corporation systematically bent on world domination?
1: Cupcake City? They serve snacks made for kids.
0: Maybe they're snacks made from kids. Oh, no. Okay,
1: all right, all right. Let's just stay here and talk this through.
0: That might help. You're the first person I've talked to in... (gasps) If you actually are a person! What does that mean? You were gone a week! How do I know you're not some kind of shapeshifter? A pot person? Or a snake-faced rat-eater disguised in human skin?
1: Because those things aren't real. You know, the phi in sci-fi stands for fiction, right?
0: And the psi stands for science. Science! You're a clone, aren't you? You went away because you were bored with me and created a duplicate to come back in your place. I
1: went away because my grandfather was dying and I had to put- Put him
0: in suspended animation until humanity finds
1: a cure. He wasn't sick, he was old. And you
0: uploaded his consciousness so he'll live forever in a digital
1: device or avatar. I just had to say goodbye.
0: Then dig up and reanimate his corpse. This won't end well. Not for you. Not for him. Not for any of us. Okay.
1: Listen, I saw my family, Daisy. I realized how fragile life can be, then I hurried back to see you. To say something I should have said the last night before I left.
0: When we watched the meteor shower?
1: Yes. They were beautiful. You were beautiful. I was just too afraid. You
0: should have been. Meteors are never just meteors. They're death rocks hovering lethal spores or alien spacecraft cloaked to avoid detection. At best, that falling story wished upon was an astronaut plummeting into our atmosphere, burning to bits after a deep space tragedy.
1: Why are you spoiling things? I love that moment. I loved every moment we spent together.
0: All those moments will be lost in time, like tears
1: in rain. Are you quoting Blade Runner?
0: Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god, you could be an android!
1: But I'm not!
0: A robot then! You're not allowed to injure me, that's the first rule!
1: I'm a man, Daisy! The same man you dated for three weeks before I took my trip. You still remember those dates, don't you? Splitting the cupcake, moonlight walks, slow dancing to David Bowie...
0: I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Like why we were matched up in the first place.
1: A dating app's algorithm compared common interests and found us compatible.
0: That's what it wants us to believe. I think it manipulated our data to ensure we met at a specific moment in time. For
1: what purpose?
0: There's obviously some ominous event looming on the horizon that can only play out with direct contributions from our spawn.
1: Spawn? What? We haven't even- And that's
0: never going to happen now. Unless... (gasps) Our offspring is needed to prevent the ominous event. Make love to me, Raymond!
1: Whoa, what? I, I don't... I mean, okay. I mean, I'm down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 hold on. Wait. Let's just... Let's just stay calm and talk about this rationally.
0: So you're not attracted to me anymore? Oh, oh, God. I knew you'd leave me for someone. Or something. Who is it? A hypersexualized virtual reality chick? A machine programmed to fulfill your fantasies? A kinky space fixin' with three breasts, two tongues, and a one-track mind?
1: I only care for you, Daisy. Can't things just be like the way they were?
0: Not in this timeline. If it's any consolation, there's likely
1: an alternate one where you never
0: went on your trip and I never went down the sci-fi wormhole.
1: Stop. I'm not ready to give up on us. We can still work this out. What's the
0: point? Even if we do, the world is careening toward Armageddon and one of us will sacrifice our life in a noble gesture to save mankind.
1: What Armageddon?
0: Invasion, pandemic, nuclear annihilation. It's always something.
1: Even if that's true. We can't live in fear. We've got to make the best of the time we have.
0: Too late. The end is nigh. Monsters are rising from the depths. Asteroids are falling from the sky. Houseplants are craving the taste of human blood.
1: Mankind is resilient. All that could happen all at once, and there still be hope.
0: I wish I had your innocence, Raymond, but I'm a realist. I'm not convinced humans are worthy of saving. Besides, any lingering suggestion of hope will ultimately be crushed by unexpected, ironical twists. How can you say that? Because I've seen it! The monsters on Maple Street turn out to be our neighbors. Those who promise to serve us plan to do so on plates. We find peace after unspeakable tragedy. Then we break our only pair of reading
1: glasses. Those are all Twilight Zone episodes.
0: Their morality tales revealing the darkness of the human psyche, and the harsh reality that our quest for meaning will be derailed by bad karma or cruel fate.
1: So you're just giving up. On us. On everything.
0: Yes, it's time. The clocks have struck 13.
1: Wait, that's from 1984. So? So, 1984 was written in 1949. Orwell predicted what the world would be like a few decades later, but he was wrong. The real 1984 was nothing like this. People watched MTV and played Pac-Man.
0: What are you saying?
1: I'm saying that all this stuff is speculative. Sci-fi offers suggestions, uh, warnings even, not prophecies. We read, and we watch, and we learn from the fictionalized missteps so we can change course and avoid those mistakes in reality. I I mean, this book has a completely dystopian society. The government uses propaganda to subvert reality. It uses alternative facts to rewrite history so lies are viewed as truths. It champions hatred, demands loyalties, claims to be perfect, and— And that
0: could never happen now.
1: Not—well, it—
0: The future is here, Raymond. That means you and I no longer have one.
1: Fine. I can't change how you feel, but you're hurting, and it's my fault. What can I do to help?
0: Take the box. Keep it. Burn it, whatever you want. Just leave me to live these final days with some semblance of peace.
1: I will. I'm going to do more than that, though. I'm going to destroy this box. And my stuff right along with it. I'm going to cleanse my house of everything sci-fi. Tear down posters, smash video games, throw away some t-shirts. All my t-shirts. I'll change what I read, what I stream, and what I collect, and I'll still want to be alone. Then I'll wait. Patiently. While you're hiding from a world you feel is crumbling, I'll be rebuilding mine. I'll read Jane Austen, attend theater, adopt a dog, or a fish. Then somewhere, sometime, someone, will unlock the secrets of time travel. And I will go back to that perfect night beneath the meteor shower, and I will tell you I love you. And I'll choose not to go on my trip. And I'll stay in your arms, and in your heart, forever.
0: You travel through time for me?
1: Without hesitation. And things will be different.
0: They'll be very different. You'll step on our freaking butterfly and send the world into a post-apocalyptic future worse than we have now. We'll be battling gangs in a desert wasteland, or getting ruled by talking monkeys. My god, it's like you've never even read sci-fi. Take the box and get out. Brush up on this stuff before you burn it. I don't ever want to see it, or you, ever again. But- Resistance is futile.
1: We find hope in the impossible.
2: Transmission accepted. We await your report.
0: This is DZ. Phase 1 is complete. I've manipulated data, broken the target's heart, and redirected his future. He will no longer attend Comic-Con, meet his soulmate, and sire the child destined to save the Earth.
3: Our clones are poised
0: to release the pods, engineer the apocalypse, and initiate the robot uprising. If you found no hope for the human species, provide the signal and the meteor shower will commence. DZ, we await your
2: reply. The choice is yours. <sighs> that was Science Friction or the Rapid Deconstruction of a Rational Mind, written by Ken Proust It was performed by Anissa Cordova as Daisy, Michael Silvio Fortino as Raymond, and Wes Hennings as the ominous voice. All right, so joining me now is the writer of this story, Ken Pruce, how goes it, my friend?
3: Hey, Jonathan, thanks for having me. I appreciate you uh, doing such a great job with the, with the play.
2: All right, thank you. Thank you for coming on. I, I know the audience just heard your play, Science Friction, and uh, this is one of many plays that you've written over the years. I mean, you've got plays being performed all over the world, all the time, and it's weird because in previous years, you and I, just like with other playwrights that I've talked to on this podcast, we've had plays performed in festivals, in the same festivals at the same time. So I've seen your work, you've probably seen mine, yet we've never officially met till now. <laughs> and uh, that's why I'm so I'm so excited for you to be able to do this today.
3: Thanks, I really enjoyed your play uh, on the onstage Atlantis, Things That Go Bump. Uh, Memento Mori. I didn't get to see it live. I got to see the recording of it, but it was a terrific show. So I, I wish I had a chance to meet you
2: there. I was about to say, uh, the for Science Friction, I saw the stage version of that play back in October at On Stage Atlanta. So I did see it in person. And uh, it, like I said, even though my play was also in the lineup, yours was one of my favorites because I'm a huge science fiction fan and uh i just i enjoyed it so much the cast was great it was you know well written all the sci-fi references i was catching them and just loving every minute minute of it and uh, i'm wondering so the background of this play how you came up with the idea i mean i i could tell you're probably a science fiction fan or else you wouldn't have written a play like this
3: i I am but i I can't say that i knew all of the things that i eventually put in the play i did a lot of research i did a lot of uh, looking up top 10 lists of like the best sci-fi books of all times and top 10 the sci-fi, uh, films. And I asked people, uh, that are friends of mine who are sci-fi fans, like, what do I have to reference? And of course, some of them were obvious, you know, referencing things like, uh, the, uh, some Ray Bradbury stuff, the planet of the apes, things like that were pretty easy. The twilight zone I knew really well. So that was one of my favorite little passages where, uh, Daisy just starts spouting Twilight Zone episodes, and I just went to the, the ones that everybody knows. Oh, yeah, I love uh, it. You know, it was really strange. I actually wrote it because a local theater was asking for science fiction plays, and I wrote it in February of 2020, right before the world changed completely. And uh, in fact, there's a line in there where Daisy mentions pandemic. And I actually, I didn't have that word in my head. I knew there was a word. I remember looking up, oh, yeah, pandemic. That's the word I'm trying to look. And now everybody knows that word because, you know, three months later, we were all locked down. And uh, so it took a while for this play to to catch on because I wrote it. And then the world changed. And nobody seemed to want to do a play about (laughs) the world being destroyed and possibly ending. Um, And let me
2: guess, at at the time that you wrote it, uh, with the timing of it, you probably... I can imagine the premiere was probably a virtual premiere, wasn't it, or, or no? It was. Okay, yes. Yeah.
3: In fact, a few times it's been done uh, was virtually uh, or uh, as an audio broadcaster. thing. In fact, uh, science fiction, one of the, I think it's been done maybe once before on stage before they did it there in Atlanta. Um, so it actually went through a little bit of a, a change too, because the original ending was flat out, Daisy was saying, I'm going to destroy the world. And- one of the first people to uh, want to do it was a group in London. And the director said, we really love it, but it's so dark at the end. And this was just as people were trying to reemerge from the lockdown. And they say, is there any way to make it a little lighter? Mm. And, you know, the whole premise is the darkness of science fiction. So I couldn't give it a happy ending, mm-hmm. but I did go back and revisit and make it sort of uh, an ending that gave you a little bit of ability to ponder what's happening. You know, I went to the end. And I tweaked it so that Daisy has the free choice at the end. She could decide to destroy the human race, or she looks at um in her heart and says that human race is worth saving, that maybe she could decide not to launch the invasion. So we gave it a little bit of an ending. And I feel like once I changed that, and the ending started to resonate better with me and with others, because you know, we always find ourselves in that position with mankind. Like what choice are we going to make? Do we make a choice to make the world better and save the planet? Or do we make a, a selfish choice or, you know, a, a choice that benefits us and not other people? So I think once I made that change, it started to catch on a little bit more. And and now I'm finding terrific productions like yours that are really embracing the story.
2: Nice, nice. Uh, and one of the things I love, uh, the way you wrote it, a lot of your science fiction references, you got a few like direct quotes like Blade Runner, 2001 Space Odyssey. But a lot of the references, it seems like they're a little more general, kind of keeping it open to a more general audience to where you're not just catering to the science fiction fans. Pretty much anyone in the audience can kind of go along with the story. And even though they don't catch a lot of the direct references, there's enough general stuff that they're going to stay interested in this relationship and how this is going to turn out. And that was just kind of clever the way you put all that together.
3: Well, I appreciate that. It was, it was a lot of work. You know, I made a list of everything I wanted to mention and then it was, uh, uh just the uh, rearranging that putting like the androids first and then the, the monkeys later and then maybe the monkeys forward to the twilight zone later. So I tried to reference books and stories and movies that at least everyone would recognize one or two, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, the, the quotes, the the blade runner quote, a lot of my sci-fi fans, uh, friends don't like that quote. They think it's one of the over-the-top quotes. So I knew I had to put that in there because that's the one I've seen referenced before. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah, anyone who's uh, just understands the genre of science fiction, you know, I think can appreciate it. And then for the sci-fi geeks in the audience, maybe they'll hear a reference to their favorite, you know, uh, play or favorite movie or favorite book and go, yes, you know, <laughs> sitting in the back of the crowd. And it
2: stays uh, throughout the whole story. It stays kind of unpredictable. Uh, there's these little moments where you think it's going to turn one way, but then it just immediately turns back. Kind of when they uh, when Raymond brings up time travel, and and she's like, "Oh, are you would time travel for me." And you think you think she's having a kind of a change of heart, but then all of a sudden it's like, "Yeah." And then and then you're going to change things. You're going to step on a butterfly, and everything's just going to be destroyed. You know. And so it just the way it kind of flip flops just momentarily, and you just keep it. And, and the ending also completely unpredictable I didn't foresee that like I knew it was a play about science fiction but then by the end you find out it is a science fiction play like that's the genre of it (laughs)
3: right yeah I I had the twist in my mind uh, the whole time I I think you know like I said the world changed like about the month after I wrote it so I believe when I started it I kind of knew in my mind that it was going to be a twist where she was going to be the alien the whole time but you know the actual way it played out uh, I, I know as you as a writer, it probably happens as well. You start writing and you think it's going one way and then your characters zig when you thought they were going to zag and you have a different play than you originally planned. So,
2: Absolutely. Um, and I was going to ask you about that. So the ending, you always had that in mind. It wasn't something that just came up as you were writing and discovered something new.
3: The way I remembered, I think I knew that we wanted a, a twist at the end. You know, that Daisy was going to look like she was panicked at everything, but it was really a, a sinister plot. Uh, the only thing that changed is that her plot became less sinister and more, uh, like I said, more nebulous. Now, maybe she's going to destroy the world. Maybe she's going to, you know, save the world and and fall in love with this person. But, uh, you know, it, it seems like whenever you watch a, a Twilight Zone episode or a sci-fi movie, there's always that little surprise at the end, whether it uh, twists on you or at least leaves you thinking like, oh, my gosh, what does that mean? So <laughs> that's, that's what I was aiming for. Uh. Just to leave everybody thinking a
2: little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, it worked out really well. And um, so, in real life, you're you're in Florida, and you're a teacher, right? And you kind of have this side career as a playwright. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, it, does your teaching uh, daily job does it kind of help you with playwriting? And and kind of do they kind of do they complement each other, or do you find it difficult? Or
3: well, currently I teach online, and uh, so there's not a lot of opportunity to do theater with the online classes. But before I taught online, I taught in a middle school here in Florida, and every year I would write a play for our drama department to put on. That's where I got started in in playwriting. The first three or four years, I wrote three or four different uh, short plays for my teenagers to perform, or my preteens, really, and then each of those uh, got published. So I'm in catalogs throughout the... Uh, the United States where high schools and middle schools can find my one act plays and perform them. So, uh, and that's really, that's really fun. And then about uh, five years ago, I got started with writing these 10 minute plays like you did. In fact, I think we were both in a, a production in Orlando, uh, my very first 10 minute play, which was, um, uh, binge there done that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think you had a show in the, the same, uh, the same I, I did. I believe
2: it was. It was at the Playwrights Roundtable, right? right. Yeah, yeah, in Orlando. Yeah, that was yeah. the that was the first time that I saw your work. And like I said, that was my first
3: ten minute play. So you've been with me from the beginning.
2: Yeah, and and it's it's crazy. We're both part of these. I think I've seen your in the, these online playwriting communities, and just seeing the interactions in there. There's, there's such a mutual respect and and so much positivity among the group. And it's just a, it's such a great group to be a part of. Um, It is. And that's how
3: I I learned about your, uh, your program, because you did a couple plays by my good friend, John, maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love John. (laughs) You did. It's a wonderful Satan a while back. And I think you might've done remembered. Yeah. Yeah. And so of course, you know, I wanted to see where his plays were. And I listened to uh, the uh, uh, recordings that you made of his shows and he and I speak often um, and he talks very positively. I guess you get to meet him in person, I think in Atlanta when, uh, I
2: I was supposed to, but we ended up going on different days. <laughs> like I've, I've talked to him online a couple of times now, but we've still never met in person. That's uh-huh. the thing about the playwriting community. If we're not at the festival on the same night, we don't get to meet each other, but we still interact. And we still, like I said, have this mutual respect. And it's, it, it's a great group. Um, but I mean, I wish I had more opportunity to go to all the play festivals that are out there, especially even my own. Whenever I have a play in a festival out there, I don't always get to go. I'm sure you know what that's like.
3: It is. You have to decide if it's worth that, you know, six hour drive for the 10 minute play. And it's, you know, it's very tricky, especially with, you know, the last two years I've I've gone out so infrequently to go see things because, you know, there's a pandemic and uh, I'm always playing it a little, maybe too safely, but I'm starting to ease myself out there. I know you just performed in a a show. I'm actually doing a, a performance this weekend. The first time I'll be on stage since 2019, maybe the beginning of 2020. So I'm going to get out there and, you know, the theater survived and it's reemerging and hopefully it will come back stronger than ever. And we'll uh, you know, keep writing and keep producing and, you know, keeping the world entertained.
2: Yeah, that's what it was uh, was like for me. I think the last play I did was February 2020. And then the next month is when everything shut down. And I think so it's the same, same two years later, me. February 2022 is when I was finally in in a play again, you know I, I do a lot of playwriting, but also do a lot of acting, and that's you know I, I I love being on stage, and it just felt so good to get back in front of an audience, you know, it, with a with an open theater, and it was just such a great experience.
3: Right, you've been creating great art in in the, the in interim there, but you don't hear the instant feedback from the audience. So I'm sure that was wonderful for you to hear the the cheers and applause and laughter as you perform.
2: Oh, so. absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so. I know you have a ton of ton of stuff going on all the time. Plays, other creative endeavors. Do you have what's coming up for you? This is just kind of your opportunity to plug whatever you want oh. to plug. Where can people see the next Ken
3: Proust play in a theater near them? Well, like you, Jonathan, I'm always submitting to these, you know, ten minute play festivals. And uh, coming up, uh, actually, Science Friction has a couple productions coming up. There's one in South Florida in April. There's one in Malaysia. In um, May. And then finally, I'm gonna get to see it live, I think, in July. The Playwrights Roundtable is gonna do it here locally in Orlando. So that'll be the first time I think I'll see the play on stage. Um, And other short plays, they're, you know, every so often uh, they pop up. I've got shows in Canada and Mexico and England, uh, New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois. Just, you know, every few weeks there's at least one 10 minute play popping up either on stage or online. Somewhere, so. I've,
2: I've noticed, like I said, I follow you on social media. I see not just you, but all the other playwrights I follow, just all this great stuff happening for everybody. And I just, I love that the plays we're writing are no longer only being performed virtually. You know, we're getting the stage performances again.
3: And it's great. I love it. I, I agree. But the virtual thing was a godsend though, because, um, you know, our plays have got to reach audiences, you know, that would never have heard our work because of the online publications and, you know, the, uh, recordings and the, the the Zoom production. So, you know, I definitely didn't want a pandemic, but it has been nice to reach new audiences and gain, you know, um, some new, uh, let some actors from other countries and other, you know, states perform our work. That's always a pleasure. Yeah. And I've
2: noticed that a lot of theaters are still doing virtual stuff. You know, they kind of got a groove with it and not only doing stage, but you know, some of them are still filming things, some of them are still doing Zoom things. And it, right. it does it, you're right, it does kind of open up to uh, a bigger audience. And uh it 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 could definitely help along the way for us writers and even the actors involved.
3: Give us a more more of an opportunity to share our work. But I really appreciate you uh taking the time to reach out to me and doing a, a great recording of science fiction and uh I can now say hey he produced John Maybe and Ken Prue, so I'm happy that I, I, I reached his level of success. So, uh,
2: yeah, it was. Uh, we had a great time recording it, and uh, you have, you know, a lot of plays, and I'm going to be reading through a lot more. So uh, I'm sure you'll hear for me in the future, and I hope we can
3: collaborate again. That'll be great. I look forward to that connection and collaboration. Thank you all for
2: tuning in today. And if you are associated with a theater and would like to produce this play on your stage, please send an email to. Gather by the Ghostlight at gmail.com, or you can reach out to the playwright directly at his website link in the show notes. And if you enjoy this podcast, maybe you're a longtime listener, or maybe this is the first episode you've ever heard. Let us know. Please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to follow Gather by the Ghostlight on social media to stay up to date on new episodes. Intro and outro music is provided by artist JK47. I'm Jonathan Cook, and as always, stay safe, and I'll see you next time we gather by the ghost light.